Good morning. How is everyone today? Doing good? You're a chatty bunch. It's so wonderful to see your all's faces this morning. Um, you know what? I, I knew I was supposed to welcome since Tuesday, and I didn't hear any announcements. And so we're just going to say, you know what? If you want to know what's going on, log on to the church's website, check your email. I was going to say get a bulletin, and Josh was like, I think our last bulletin was printed in March. So if you find that, it probably won't be all that relevant. <laughs> but go ahead and stand, and we are going to sing and praise the Lord this morning. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. There's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, my eyes, lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, lift my eyes, lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness of death, in the shadows In the darkness, I'll dance 
Our lives. 
song that says, um, we cry out for your love to define us, that his love flowing through us as we allow him to reign in our lives is literally what defines us. Who are the people at the Marysville Church of the Nazarene? Oh, they're defined by love, right? Um, so here in Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read for you just possibly some more definitions of maybe what it would be like if someone were to define our church and what our prayer should be. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in work or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a prayer. What a prayer. I pray that that is our church, that is my life, that is your life. And as we submit ourselves to the Lord, he's going to lead us in the path, right? And it might not be the same for all of us. And it might require us to do things maybe we don't want to do. It might be uncomfortable. It's going to be sacrifice. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. That was the other verse I was going to read if you want to look that up. Yes. This is our prayer, right? That we reflect God's glory and his creation and what he desires for our church. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath when it's born. If the stars are made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made every burning star a signal fire of your grace if creation sings your praises so alive God of your promise you don't speak in vain 
Would again, a hundred. 
inside But what measure good amounts to your design You're the one who never leaves the one behind Yes, you're the one who never leaves the one behind You are the one who never Amen. Praise God. Let's pray this together. Oh God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. Today I brought a popular game from our house. I'm guessing a lot of you are going to recognize this game. And honestly, I think it's so popular in our house, not so much because my kids really enjoy playing it, but because they enjoy that that buzzing that just happens every time as you're trying to do that operation, you get too close to something else. And this week, as I was reflecting on the fact that we've come to the end of another month, another series, and I just, I can't believe how fast time is going. But as I was standing there worshiping this morning, I'm just thinking, man, I don't want this month to be wasted. I don't want the things that we've heard the ways that God has spoken to us, the way the Holy Spirit wants to move, I don't want us to move on to next month and forget the way that he wants to create a people that act with wisdom, that understand where wisdom comes from, and that know how to live it out in our lives. We've talked about the ways that wisdom can affect and heal relationships. Having those right words can lead to healing. How our wisdom, it comes from God and we are channels of that wisdom to our world. And today we're even going to look a little bit more about how wisdom really can bring restoration and healing and wholeness. And so when I think about healing and wholeness, I, I was thinking about this, this little guy here that clearly has so many things wrong with him. He needs many, many, many surgeries. And they need to be done with such precision and care. And I got to be th thinking about how sometimes my life kind of feels like this. And I don't know if I'm alone in this, where I feel like this relationship is, ow, a little owie. There, I, there's been some hurt here. This is not going well. This hurts. That hurts. And as I start to try to go in myself and be like, okay, well, if I can just say or think, oh, nope, if I just touch just, oh, too close. And if I start to try to fix everything on my own, one, I probably am not sure exactly what I'm trying to fix, so I'm, I'm making things worse. And two, I'm just constantly aggravating other things. And so, as I've been thinking and reflecting this month, we know that the source of wisdom is God. And so then I think, okay, well, once I've, honestly, I've tried this a few times myself, it didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to ask God. I'm going to ask him for his wisdom. I'm going to ask him for how he wants to work in this situation. And then I'm going to leave myself open to that. And then sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've found that when God does start to work and move in a situation, I start to have that same reaction. Like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I wanted you to come in with precision. I wanted you just to 
to make that one person stop driving me crazy so that I can be nice to them. I don't, I don't understand why instead of just fixing that person, you're, you're creating other areas in my life where I'm realizing, oh, here I thought that they were the problem. Maybe, I'm, maybe I've got some, something deeper going on. If you go to a doctor, you do not want them just poking around and treating every symptom with something new because before you know it, you're on so many prescriptions with so many side effects and so many more symptoms and you don't even know what the underlying cause was to begin with. And so when we allow God in his wisdom to start to work in our lives, it may feel from time to time like he's getting a little too close to something else. He is really stepping on my toes here. He's really revealing some places in my life where I did not even know I was harboring some selfishness, some bitterness, some anger. But I know when he gets close because I start to go, wait, wait, no, 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 no. Don't touch that. Touch this. Don't fix this. Fix this. But God's not a vending machine. When I go to him with my questions, when I ask him, why, help me, please show me what to do, he sees a great bigger picture than I do. And so when he comes into work, he's not coming just to fix that symptom. He's coming to heal and transform my heart. So sometimes these other things, these relationships that I'm struggling in, these situations are really just symptoms of a much bigger much deeper problem. So no matter how many times I try to fix just that one thing, I'm constantly going to be getting that, there's something else going on. That's not it. That's not right. So this month, I just, as I've been reflecting on wisdom, wisdom is not just something you can have and carry around with you. Wisdom is our lifestyle. It's the way that when we walk into a situation, we bring that peace, we bring that compassion, we bring that sincerity, that genuine care for the people around us. It's not about knowing all the right things. It's not about shooting facts at people. It's about seeking to know and love each other better. So this month, if you've kind of had a few of these things where you're like, all right, I think this might be the area. I think maybe it's here. And you're realizing, oh, that's kind of prickling me a little bit. I invite you, don't back away. Dig deeper into that because God's wisdom really does. He's not about fixing a symptom. He's about transforming and healing our hearts if we let him. They don't make you go into surgery most times. They don't round you up at your house and just put you under. You got to tell them what the problem is and they're going to seek to fix it. We can do that same thing with God. We can tell him we know we're broken. We're hurt. We need your healing and we can let him do the, the total transformation not just the teeny tiny operation. So I'm going to invite Josh to share a little bit more about Nehemiah, which is maybe a little lesser known story for us this morning. Man, I used to love operation when I was a kid. But I was always like, what? who is this guy who has all of these ailments and physical ailments? And now that I'm getting old, I'm like, bro, that's me every Tuesday morning after I play softball on Monday night. <laughs> like every single part of my body is like the operation guy. <laughs> um, well, we have, as, as Mar has been talking, we have been uh, through this series called Wise. And uh, in, in this series called Wise, we've been talking about audience participation. What is it? Wisdom! That's why the series is called Wise. 
See how I'm wise and I got that? We've been talking about wisdom, and when we talk about wisdom and we're talking about the Bible, who do we always think of? Solomon. Yes, you guys are really good this morning. We talk about Solomon. Uh, we talk about Solomon because he, he's wise and he asked for wisdom, and God granted him wisdom, and that's who we've been kind of talking about. But but in reality, Solomon. Uh, if we if we look at the the whole story of Solomon, am I really hot or is it just is my mic really hot? I'm sorry, not hot like mic hot or no. It's just my ears ring. Okay, good deal. Again, I'm getting old. Um, what was I talking about? Solomon. Okay, Solomon. Uh, when we look at the whole picture of Solomon, there's times in there where you're like, Solomon wasn't actually wise there. Like, he made some boneheaded decisions. And, and we actually, uh, in our uh, pastor's uh, podcast that we do each week, we talked about that this past week. And so, if you, if you don't check that podcast out, I would highly encourage you to. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's good conversation. And it, uh, it's... In this week, we talked about what is it? What do we do with a character like Solomon, who we paint as this very wise person, and he's known for his wisdom? But the whole story of Solomon is he wasn't so wise after all. And how do we deal with those characters in the Bible, or like David, where David was a man after God's own heart, but there's parts of David's life that are just messy and ugly. And how do we do that? And what do we deal with? And and so we talked about that in this week's podcast. So if you don't look, if you if you haven't watched that. I would encourage you to uh, jump on YouTube and check that out. And, uh, and that's also a, just a shameless plug for our podcast that so we can really build up our viewership because our sponsors are just waiting for us to, to go viral. I'm just kidding. We don't have sponsors. But if someone's interested, yeah, yeah, yet. We are, t- we, are, we are accepting applications for that. We talk about wisdom. We talk about Solomon. And so for the past few weeks, we've, we've said this. Uh, we've said wisdom is more than just knowing things, right? It's more than just knowing information. Wisdom is right living that leads to right relationship. And then the next week we talked about this. Wisdom is living in right relationships with all aspects of our lives. Not just individual aspects, but all aspects of our lives. And then last week we talked about this idea. Our words can heal or hurt. Our words can either heal or hurt, and wise words always bring healing. Today we're going to we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We're going to switch characters, and and we're going to focus in on Nehemiah, not someone that you necessarily think of when you're thinking of wisdom and figuring out God's wisdom and, and how do we live in that wisdom. I'll give you a little bit of a a spoiler alert. I'm going to give you my nugget of wisdom from this uh, from this sermon and so I'll give you this and then you can just tune me out for the rest of the sermon while I blabber on it's this idea wisdom leads to wholeness in community wisdom God's wisdom when we live in God's wisdom it leads us to wholeness in community so here's where we we find ourselves in the story Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for several years. They had begun to make their way back to Jerusalem after this period of exile and captivity. Some of them had made their way back to Jerusalem and had had this desire to kind of rebuild their community back in Jerusalem, their hometown. And so some of them had started to go there and started to rebuild their home. There had been some particular efforts to rebuild this community in Jerusalem, including the temple that had been destroyed. 
We find this story in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah in in your Bible and in my Bible uh, are two different chapters, but this is actually one story that would have initially been just one book and then we later divided it into two. But think of Ezra and Nehemiah as one flowing story together. And it's the story of the attempt to rebuild the community of Jerusalem. There were efforts to rebuild this community by Zerubbabel and then by Ezra and then finally by Nehemiah. And what we see throughout this whole rebuilding process is this tension of going back and forth between doing things based on God's wisdom and doing things on their own desires, based on their own desires. Zerubbabel and Ezra had done their thing in the rebuilding process. They had made some progress. They got the temple up and, and, and they'd started this process and things were going okay. Uh, and, and then we pick ourselves up in this story with Nehemiah coming into the picture and, and you'll see in these verses that he has a desire to take it even to the next level. And so I'm going to read to you this story from Ch- uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. If you want to follow along, you can. Or if you just want to listen, that's great too. This is Nehemiah chapter 2. Again, Zerubbabel and Ezra had done their part in in kind of starting the rebuilding process of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2 says this, In the month of of Nisan, in the 20th year of King uh, Artaxerxes, which is a really fun name, Artaxerxes. Say it. It's fun. Yeah, isn't that fun? It's good. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried, which is Jerusalem, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that uh, they will provide me safe so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When the Sanballat and the Horonite Horonite and Tobiah, the, um, the Ammonite official, heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. And so I went to Jerusalem. And after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal, and the, toward the, sorry, toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, 
So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Jeshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So Nehemiah was in captivity and he had kind of heard about how bad Jerusalem was still doing in his homeland even after these efforts of Zerubbabel and Ezra to rebuild that things were still not good. And so he had this desire placed in his heart by God to go back to Jerusalem to continue to rebuild his community, to rebuild his hometown, the temple, the wall, the city, but also his community. So he sought the blessing of the king, and, and, he, and he sought God's guidance, and then he proceeded to go about this process. But in the midst of this rebuilding effort, we see some moments of conflict and tension. As you saw at the end of chapter 2, there were moments of conflict and tension. And I think that this conflict and this tension that we see here, but also throughout the rest of the story of Nehemiah, highlights the tension that we have when we are deciding between doing things based on God's wisdom and doing things based on our own desires and our own wisdom. But Nehemiah wasn't the first to experience this tension. right? If we look back in the story of Zerubbabel and Ezra, we see Nehemiah is not the first one to experience this. Zerubbabel had begun this process of rebuilding the community and rebuilding the temple. Now, there was a group of people who had not been taken into exile, who, had been, who were still back in Jerusalem, and when, when they saw Zerubbabel and his people attempting to rebuild this community and this temple, these people who had not been in exile, who had been left in Jerusalem, they wanted to be a part of this community. They wanted to join in the efforts and, and be a part of what was happening. However, Zerubbabel refused to let them be a part. In essence, he excluded this group of people from the community that was being rebuilt. Then Ezra comes along and he finds another problem. Some of those who had been in captivity and then returned back to Jerusalem had begun to marry those who had remained in Jerusalem who hadn't gone to captivity. And so what we see is there's these violations of laws of purity happening among these people. And Ezra is grieved by this because the Torah very clearly says that they can't break these laws of purity. 
And so Ezra created decrees to keep these impure people out, to exclude them from their community. But as we see in the story, it's not as simple as Ezra just creating these decrees. What we see is that these decrees are sometimes enforced, but other times they're not enforced, and it becomes this just mess of tension of do we do things our way? Do we do things God's way? And it's this tension and mess. Then, Nehemiah comes along. He's seen what's happening in his town. He's seen what's happening in Jerusalem. He's seen the efforts to begin the rebuilding process. And he's grieved and he's sad because it's just not going the way that things should be going. And so he approaches the king and says, can I have your blessing to go? And he sends him an army to go with him. And things are really going well. And on one hand, it really looks like Nehemiah is building and doing this great job of building this community. In fact, the very next chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you read through that, it's a, it's a very fascinating picture of what Nehemiah has done. What he's done is he's painted this picture. He set a goal, a common goal and a common purpose for his people. And he's rallied the troops to get behind this one goal, this purpose of rebuilding the community and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls. And he's, and he's got everybody behind him. In chapter 3, it lists all of these different people and who they are. And it also talks about the, the different parts of the walls that they're working on. And it's just this fascinating picture of a community of people working together for one common goal to rebuild their community. But once again... We saw that the wall excluded people from the community. That no one else was allowed to work on this, and so they got mad, and it created this tension and this conflict. But what does all of this, all of this rebuilding and conflict and tension, what does all of this have to do with God's wisdom or the lack thereof? If you'll think with me for just a minute, back to the words of the prophet. Back to the words of the prophets. The prophets were those who were called by God and chosen by God to speak the word of God to the people. Think back to the words that the prophets had spoken. These prophets had delivered visions of this new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem being rebuilt, and in their visions that they cast and in the words of God that they spoke, they said that this new Jerusalem would be a place where people of all nations and tribes would gather together to worship God. And it would be a city without walls or barriers keeping people from joining. The prophets had envisioned and spoke the Word of God that this new Jerusalem would have people of all nations joining this covenant people. And then we see in these rebuilding efforts, these moments where they're, they're following God's wisdom, but then there's, there's these moments where their own desires and their own wisdom gets in the way and it leads to the exclusion of other people. You see, a community that is built on our desires, a community that is built on our prerequisites, a community that is built on what I think, who I think should be in my community, 
will always exclude people. But a community built on God's wisdom seeks ways to invite and include people. Wisdom should lead us to build a community that does not alienate people. That is wholeness in community. So now we fast forward the story just a little bit. The city had been rebuilt. The walls had been rebuilt. The temple had been rebuilt. Things seemed to be going well. Things seemed to be uh, on the right track for Jerusalem. The wholeness of community seems to be within reach. Everything seems to be good. There's even this moment in Nehemiah chapter 8 of, of spiritual renewal amongst the people. Let me just read two verses from Nehemiah chapter 8 that kind of shows what's happening here. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2 and 3 says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, remember Ezra, he's the one who, who was part of the rebuilding process. The seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, the law or the Torah, uh, before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of law. So we see this moment in this community where there's this spiritual renewal happening. And it happens because Nehemiah had decided to partner with Ezra to create this gathering, this assembly of people. And what was happening at the center of this community of people in this assembly was Torah. Ezra was reading the Torah. Now we know the Torah as the first five books of the Bible. Right? For these people in this context, when we, when we would say Torah, they would think of it as just Scripture. Like this was the Scripture that they had. They didn't have the, the leather-bound NIV Bible. This was the Scripture. So Ezra had gathered the people and, and, and began to read the Scripture. They were centered at the Scripture. They were centered on the story of God. The entire community centered around God. To hear the story of God. That's what the Torah is. The Torah is the story of God at work in and through the people of God. And so Ezra gathered, Nehemiah and Ezra gathered them around to tell the story of God, to be reminded that in the midst of chaos, think about who these people were. They were, they were very familiar with chaos, right? They had just come from captivity. They had heard stories of their ancestors wandering through the wilderness. Before that, they heard stories of their ancestors who had been in slavery. This was a people who was very familiar with chaos. And Ezra, centering the community around the story of God to remind them of this one thing. God has always been faithful. God will always be faithful. That's what the Torah, the law, does. It is the story of God at work amongst the people of God. And this story of God interacting with His people is told in this community. The community is centered around the story of God. And guess what happened when this happened? When the community was centered around the story of God, guess what happened? The people of God responded. In chapter 9, the very next chapter, after they talk about what Ezra reading the Torah, it talks about the people responding in repentance and confession of sin. And so they respond, and this leads to transformation in the community. 
Wisdom that leads to wholeness and community happens when the community is centered on God and the community responds to God and the community is transformed by the story of God. That is the wisdom that leads to wholeness of community. Do you know what else wholeness of community leads to? Inclusivity. I want you to notice one very small detail in chapter 8, verse 3. Verse, sorry, verse 2 or 3. When they're describing this assembly, this gathering of people who were listening to the Torah, Scripture makes it very clear that there were men and women. Now for us, that's obviously, like you're all, men and women are sitting here listening to this. But I want you to understand in this context, in this culture, this gathering, this assembly of men and women to hear the Torah simply would not have happened. But when wisdom leads to wholeness of community, all people are invited. And for a moment, it was as if the wisdom of God had finally led to the wholeness of community that God desires. But guess what? Just like we see time after time in Scripture, when things are going good, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. If we skip further ahead in the story, we see in chapter 13, we see a much darker picture. Nehemiah is kind of touring the city. He's, he's, he's going around the city to kind of see what's going on. and He's on tour to see what's happening. And what he finds is just not good. In fact, the temple is being neglected. Sabbath is no longer being honored. Markets are being set up around the walls. God is no longer at the center of this community. And Nehemiah goes on an all-out rampage. You should read it sometime in Nehemiah chapter 13. It includes Nehemiah beating guys up, pulling their hair out because he's just so beside himself because this community is no longer centered on God and what we see in the end of the story of Nehemiah in this moment of defeat for Nehemiah where he's just feeling defeated and like all of this was just craziness and it didn't work we see this profound prayer from Nehemiah to God and this is essentially what he says at least I tried <laughs> this moment of defeat where Nehemiah throws his hands up and says I don't know, God, I tried. At least I tried. You can, you can mark that down in my, in my things that I did. I tried. And it begs the question, in our pursuit of God's wisdom that we've been talking about for the past several weeks, in our pursuit of this wisdom, in the battle of our desires versus God's wisdom, of right knowledge leading to right relationships and right actions, is it enough for us to simply throw our hands up and say, at least I tried. At least I tried to follow God's wisdom. At least I tried to forget about my own desires. At least I tried. The beauty of this thing that we call Christianity, the beauty of our relationship with God, the beauty that we find in our scriptures is that it gives us so much more hope than that. It gives us so much more hope than having to just throw our hands up and say, well, I tried. 
It didn't turn out the way I wanted, but I tried. We have a story that is filled with so much more hope than that. We see that hope in Jesus. We see that hope in the person of Jesus. In Jesus, we finally see this ultimate picture of what it looks like to live completely surrendered to God's wisdom. To see a real life living example of someone saying, not my will, not my desires, not my wisdom, not my knowledge, not my information, but God's will, God's desires, God's wisdom. And what we see as a result of this is nothing short of incredible. The result that we see of this person living this surrendered life to God's will and wisdom and desires is real transformation. People of all different backgrounds and beliefs and cultures and socioeconomic statuses joining together in community. A community that doesn't build higher and stronger walls, but longer tables. That is the wholeness and community that God desires. And friends, I'm here today to proclaim the truth and the hope that that kind of community is available to us today. It is within reach for us today. Yes, even in today when the proverbial poop has hit the fan and division seems to be at an all-time high, and when the desire to look out for our own interests and the interests of those who look and think like us are, are seemingly rampant, when everything is chaos, that kind of community can still happen. And it's what God desires. But it can only happen when Jesus is at the center of that community. Not some political party. Not some political candidate. Not some Supreme Court justice. Not some platform that we can get behind. Not some common interest group that excludes others. Only Jesus. When that community is centered on Jesus, you see the same power that would allow Jesus to live a life totally surrendered to God's wisdom is available to us as well. Scripture tells us that that same power is available to us. May that power, may that wisdom be the center of the community that we are trying to build in Marysville. God, we thank You for Your wisdom. Thank You for... And thank you for your love. Thank you for your love for all people. Thank you for your love for us here at Marysville Church of the Nazarene. God, it is my desire that we as a people don't feed into the lie or don't buy into the lie that all of this is hopeless and it can't get better and nothing is going to work out right because as I read my Scripture and as I see the the person of Jesus living amongst us, what I see is hope. I see this trajectory of hope that points to You, and so may we have that 
on our mind's eye. May we live toward that hope. May we, as a community, be centered only on one thing, and that thing is Jesus. As we do that, God, would you transform our lives individually and collectively, and as we do that here, may that spill out into our community that we would be a community of wholeness, of healing, of reconciliation, of restoration, a community, as Amy said this morning, a community that is defined by love. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. You guys are dismissed.